SequelCast 2 and Friends is a part of the HyperX Podcast Network. This is a vintage episode of SequelCast 2 and Friends. Audio quality may not be up to current standards. We apologize for the nastier audio artifacts. Sequel Cast. The Sequel Cast is a show that looks at movies in a franchise one film at a time. We're in the middle of uh, doing a bit of an unusual series looking at uh, some films based off the uh, the Oz books by L. Frank uh, Baum. And at this time around, we're looking at Return to Oz, released by uh, Disney in 1985, directed by Walter Murch, produced by Maul Maslansky, written by Gil Dennis and Walter Murch, based on the books The Marvelous Land of Oz and Ozma of Oz by L. Frank Baum, starring Farusa Balk, Nicole Williamson, and Jean Marsh, music by David Shire, cinematography by David Watkin and Freddie Francis. Um, this, you know, off a budget of $28 million in the United States, made only $11 million. I'm not sure what the worldwide gross was, but this was a flop. Um, I'm Matt with Miss Thrasher. Hello, everybody. You can check out other episodes of the SequelCast. We talk about other franchises like uh, Highlander or Jaws over at SequelCast.com. And the SequelCast is a proud member of the Battleship Retention podcast fleet. Check out other great film and TV podcasts at BattleshipRetention.com. And if you want to listen to uh, SequelCast on the go, you can do it with an app called Stitcher. Download it at Stitcher.com slash SequelCast. For a uh, and when you do that, you get a chance to win a hundred U.S. dollars, and not only that, it sequel cast gets added as one of your favorite shows automatically. And if you'd like to support the show, if you like what you're listening to, you can donate at sequelcast.com/slash/donate. Uh, Return to Oz, 1985. I have very distinct memories of watching this film for the first time. When was the first time you saw it? Uh, good question, Thrasher. Uh, the first time I saw it, I didn't get to see the whole movie. I was probably like um, seven years old or so, and we were visiting family or we were visiting friends of the family over in Texas. And uh, we went to the grocery store to rent a movie, and I noticed Return to Oz, and I knew Wizard of Oz, and I'm like, oh, I never knew they made a sequel to it, and so we rented it. And after about the first 10 minutes when uh, Dorothy is being threatened with electroshock therapy, my parents turned the movie off. And uh, I, I didn't see the whole thing until several years later when I uh, was starting college at the Savannah College Art and Design in 2003 or so. One of my roommates had a videotape of it. Yeah, this movie was a pretty heavy beginning. I 
I am not sure. I, th- I th- honestly, I think earlier today was the first time I'd ever seen this movie all the way through in one sitting. I have seen it. It's it's like a like a lot of films from uh, from my younger days. It's a film that I saw in bits and pieces and saw all of it just in these weird chunks. Although I didn't although I didn't see it until I think I was ten or eleven. So I was kind of beyond the point of being uh, of being uh, scared by the film. Uh, although certainly disturbed, there's lots of disturbing imagery. But this is a film that a lot of my friends growing up, it was their primary source of nightmare fuel. I can truly imagine that watching this now as an adult. Yeah. Uh, now, I mean, as a kid, did you know there was like Oz books and stuff other than the Wizard of Oz movie? Oh yeah, we actually, uh, my, my family and I, we actually uh, we read a few. We read a, the Wizard of Oz. We we read another one. I don't remember specifically which one it is, but it's the one where the Oz characters visit Dorothy in Kansas. Hmm. Sadly, I don't remember the title. Yeah, I mean, as a kid, I didn't even realize they were Oz books until I moved to Georgia. It was around 92 or, or 93 or something. And the school library had um, maybe about half of the Oz books by L. Frank Baum. Nice. And I would check them out like a, like a fanatic, and it was... Kind of disconcerting uh, to my family, I think. Or what is this twelve-year-old boy doing, uh, reading Oz books? But uh, but there you go. Um, so, but let's let's talk about the way, the way this movie starts because I actually oh my God. I actually yeah. kept track of it, and it's the movie is is uh, about a hundred and forty-five minutes long. No, it's and- not that long. I timed it, and we are just over twenty-one minutes in before Oz, before Oz, or the or, or anything like that ever actually shows up. I mean, the movie's not one hundred and forty-five minutes long; it's about one hundred and thirteen minutes. But is it twenty minutes till they get to Oz? Really? Wow. No, no. It's the the cut I saw was one hundred and forty-five minutes long. Weird. I don't know what cut you saw then, huh? Okay. Well, I could have read it wrong. Maybe it was an hour and forty-five minutes, but it it was a long cut. I think that, yeah, I think an hour 45 is closer to to what it is, but sure. But that's amazing they take that long to get to Oz. And it is surprising. You look at the Wizard of Oz movie and the the beginning scenes are done in sepia. In this Return to Oz film, they didn't do anything of the sort. Now, keep in mind, this was done by Disney. Uh, Wizard of Oz was uh, MGM, right? Yes, although they did, they did have to make one tweak because the the uh the MGM version of the Wizard of Oz as wonderful a movie as it is takes a lot of liberties and is in many ways very different from the source material uh to the point where the ruby slippers are uh, an invention of the MGM uh the MGM movie but the ruby slippers are so iconic they they, they kind of have to show up in every film version now so as a result a, a uh, compromise was made, and the ruby slippers were imported into this movie. Yeah, they had to pay MGM a big fee for that, I believe. <laughs> yes, shoe royalties. Yep, shoe royalties indeed. Uh, you know, it's worth mentioning the director of this, Walter Murch. This is the only film he's directed, and yet he's better known as a, a film editor and a, a sound designer. Mm-hmm. He's done sound editing for, like, he's done, like, film and sound editing for such films as, like, Apocalypse Now, The English Patient, uh, THX 1138. I mean, he's worked on several films, very famous films, and won Oscars and stuff throughout the years. And in fact, he was fired from Return to Oz about a month into filming. Yes. This this film went way over budget. You you look at a budget like 28 million now, like a 
like a scary movie uh, that might cost as much as like scary movie five or something. But at the time in 1985, $28 million was a lot of money. Well, well, regardless of any budgetary limitations there may have been, this movie looks great. It does. I mean, you can tell the, the money was well spent with uh, a lot of special effects and everything, but to get Walter Murch back on the film uh, his friend, his friends like George Lucas and Francis Ford Coppola had to work to convince Disney that Walter Murch is a great guy. You can't fire him, put him back on the picture. Yeah, and actually George Lucas gets a, a special thanks credit at the tail end of the, of the of the credit sequence at the end of the film. If, uh, if the news articles you read are to be true, George Lucas actually flew over away from the film he was producing at the time to the set in England for Return to Oz. What film was he producing at the time? Was it Howard the Duck? It was not Howard the the Duck. I believe it was um he was producing a few uh Japanese films cool. in the eighties. So it was one of those. It, it was either um could have been uh, Kurosawa's Kagamusha, maybe. I'm not really quite sure exactly what film it was, but it's an interesting story at any rate. I mean that you know, I think Disney signed up to to do an Oz movie. Disney had the rights to do um, movies based off the Oz books, aside from Wizard of Oz, for a very long time, and they were never able to get something off the ground. And the Actually, rights... no, I believe they did have the rights to the Wizard of Oz as well. It oh, did they? Okay. Just you know what? That you can't you can't touch the Wizard of Oz now because the MGM version is so iconic. Well, if you look around online, there's a clip of the. Um, Oh, what's the what's the TV the Wonderful World of Disney or whatever back when Walt oh, Disney yes. was hosting it, and there's one where like the Mouseketeers are telling him they're going to make a Wizard of Oz movie because Disney has the license and it's all set to go, and that movie never you know got to be made. But that's interesting. They were, it's, it's really something they've been trying to work on for a long time, and you know Walter Murch was reading the Oz books to his kids and and everything, and he just was decided to combine the plot of two books, uh, Marvelous Land of Oz and Ozma of Oz into Return to Oz. And yeah, the beginning takes a long time to get to Oz. And I think it's, I'm not even sure it's entirely necessary. Well, I mean, one thing that well, there's the, an important thing that everyone seems to forget about the character of Dorothy, but her life in Kansas is horrible. Yes. Uh, it's, <laughs> you know, it, it, it's, uh, implied that she's you know that that her family her whole family well her parents are probably dead her family's are, her family is a victim of the dust bowl uh there's a horrible uh woman who's going to have her her dog her only friend killed uh and the beginning of return to oz just continues this darkness so dorothy's back from her adventures in oz and now everyone thinks she's insane and the reason they think she's insane is because she can't sleep, and she has, you know, she she's lamenting the fact that she's now in terrible, terrible Kansas and not the wonderful land of Oz. I, I like the touch that they think she's crazy because she's telling all these stories. In fact, you know, when she gets taken to the psych uh, ward, she tells the origin of the Tin Woodsman, which wasn't in the Wizard of Oz uh, musical film from MGM, about his limbs getting chopped off and being replaced with metal parts. Oh yeah, and 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 I like that that darkness is preserved, and you know I like I like that she plays a Dorothy that's 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 clearly become comfortable with with that darkness, although it's because we know she's faced it and survived in a previous adventure. Uh, although I was I was wondering because I, I was really fascinated uh, uh, watching the beginning of this movie because you know being a film that I had seen in chunks throughout most of my life, I I didn't have very many strong memories of the beginning. 
and I was really fascinated with with sort of how 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 dark they went, but also just how much they committed to things. Because I remember I remember seeing that that newspaper that advertises amazing electric cure, <laughs> and just seeing that and go, oh wow, that's dark. I wonder if they're gonna. I wonder how far they're gonna go with that. And they go pretty damn far to the point where we have Dorothy strapped down to a table and hooked up to this for lack of a better term, infernal contraption that's going to just run current through her. Yeah, they don't actually deliver electroshock therapy to her, but they get Thank just goodness. about to the point. And you were mentioning you know, Dorothy in this film is played by Feruza Bulk. And how do you think she does compared to uh, Judy Garland? Well, you know, Wizard I, of Oz. I mean, she, she looks more the part as far as well, the age she, goes. She's the right age, uh, and she plays it like a... a, a, a um, she she plays it like a real brave little girl, and I, uh, and I think that works really really well. Uh, although interestingly enough, when when they find the wreckage of the yellow brick road, her line reading sounds like she's trying to do a Judy Garland impersonation. Mm. But other but aside from yeah. that one scene, which is fairly glaring, uh, she does a, a really nice performance. Do you like the way they get to Oz in this film? Um, no, I kind of, no, I guess, I guess I don't because it's, you know, in the Wizard of Oz, we get a big dramatic hurricane that pulls Dorothy to Oz, but here she's kind of, there's a rainstorm and she's kind of washed down river into Oz, which seems, it's not quite as exciting. Uh, It doesn't, strangely enough, it doesn't make as much sense as a, as a, uh, a tornado, and the other thing is, is like fairly early, early on in the film, you know, she sees a shooting star, and the next day finds out that it was a key from Oz. I like, I kind of wish that she should have the way she w- went to Oz. She probably should have been running through the halls of the mental institution and like tried that key on a door, and it turned that door into a doorway to Oz. Like, I whenever I feel like the key is set up so much that it needs that kind of payoff. I really don't like the payoff the key has. Well, and later in the film, there's a lot of things with mirrors going on. Maybe she could have walked through a mirror to get to Oz. Yeah. No, that's how you get to Wonderland. Oh, in Wonderland, right. It doesn't work the other way. I see. Oz is different. But, yeah, yeah, it it is one of those things where, you know, they couldn't have a tornado come again. That would have just been stupid. Um, Oh, I don't know. I mean, I guess I wouldn't have minded a tornado. I guess if it was a, 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 a tornado, we probably wouldn't be having this conversation at all. We would just be completely neutral on the way she gets to Oz. Uh, but yeah, just u- using having her washed downstream just it seem it's it doesn't seem all that interesting. What's that? Majestically cresting the horizon as it makes its way into port. Why, it's the brand new HyperX Armada monitors, mounts, and arms. Both the HyperX Armada 25 and 27 gaming monitors come bundled with a sturdy HyperX Armada mount and arm. If you need every split second of advantage when gaming, the full HD Armada 25 and its 240Hz refresh rate are for you. If you like to soak in the graphical majesty of your gaming, you'll be eyeing the Quad HD Armada 27 with an 165Hz refresh rate. Set sale for HyperX.com or Amazon.com to start making your Display Armada. You know, when I was a kid, since I didn't get to see the whole movie when I was younger, for some because we saw it up to the point where they're threatening her with electroshock therapy, I always thought in the film she got to Oz as a hallucination as she's being delivered electroshock therapy. 
Well, you know, it's funny because like they, they, the way the way it's played up, I could almost believe that they're taking the stance that Dorothy does have severe delusions and that this is what's going on in her head while she's being electrocuted. Um, and yet it's nice in a nod to what they did in the Wizard of Oz film, how some of the, the actors in the psych ward are actors that play parts of the bad guys in Oz. Yes, that's a very nice touch. Where you have uh, Nicole Williamson plays Dr. Worley in the psych ward and the evil Gnome King, and Jean Mar- Marsh plays the head nurse Wilson and uh, Queen Mombi. So. And uh, I like seeing Jean Marsh in this. I recognized her as Bath Morta from Willow. Oh, yeah. And Nicole Williamson, of course. He's been in so many things. I, I think of him as Merlin and Excalibur. Do you recognize him from anything? <laughs> Regrettably, no. I okay. kind of got, I kind of got, I really enjoyed watching this movie, and I kind of got so lost in it, I, I forgot that I was looking at actors. Um, and so all I remember are the characters. Although that that doctor, the, I I don't know, I don't know how many doctors you you or specialists you went to uh, when you were younger, but that is exactly how a condescending doctor talks to child patients. Yeah, he just has such a nice uh, timbre to his voice. He tries to sound very comforting, but they're going to do terrifying things, and um, that her aunt and uncle need convinced the to go to the psych ward. You know that the treatment's going to be okay. It it's just really uh, really creepy. And then when you get to Oz, it's really a kick in the balls if you enjoyed the old Wizard of Oz movie because you <laughs> see the yellow brick road and you're like, oh, it's kind of beat up. Oh, what's going to happen? It's not beat up. It's torn. It, it, it's torn to pieces. That's bad enough. But then you go to the courtyard. You go to Emerald City, which is in ruins, and all your favorite characters from the first film, the Tin Woodsman, the Cowardly Lion, are turned to stone. Yeah. Ugh. Well, and it gets more morbid. Like, like when you see some of the statues are missing heads and there's no rubble mm-hmm. anywhere. Which of course foreshadows stuff, but it's we, we, yeah when when you get to the Emerald City, you're expecting this wondrous metropolis, and you get a a dark wasteland. You do, and and you're instead of flying mon- monkeys, you're confronted by the um, the wheelers. The number one cause of nightmare fuel in this movie. Now, why is that? They're just well, they're just so disturbing. Uh, weird attitudes, crazy voices, uh, disturbing body posture. Well, they're kind of a classic monster design because you know you're if you if you take a little kid and ask them to draw a monster they, or, or something scary, what they will inevitably draw is a human with one body part way out of proportion or in the wrong place. And the wheelers have that. Their arms and legs are about a third again to twice as long as a proper limb. And of course it's it's end it's ending with the wheel. They have a really weird way that they, they move around, that kind of that skitter that they do. Like it's just that that's that's what you imagine chasing you down a hall in your nightmares. When the screaming and the way they kind of have like a punk rock look to them reminds me a bit of some of the uh, bad guys in the Mad Max films. You know, when I was watching them, I was actually imagining the uh, that that gang uh, from Clockwork Orange. I was just imagining. Oh yeah, come on, boys, let's go get some ultra violence. The droogs, right? Yeah. And uh, you know, I look at this poster to Return to Oz, and it's very misleading in that you have the Scarecrow and the Tin Man, and the Tin Man shows up for maybe like one minute at the end of the film, and the <laughs> yeah. Scarecrow. 
admittedly Dorothy is trying to rescue because like this is something that was in the books that wasn't in the film. Scarecrow becomes the king of Oz. Yes, yeah, well, well, uh, the Scarecrow and the Tin Man both become wizards, but the Scarecrow specifically becomes the king. And, you know, with all of that, she's trying to find the Scarecrow. You know, you don't see, you see the Tin Woodsman and the Lion in stone, but you don't see the Scarecrow because they're trying to find where he is. It's kind of a central mystery that, that drives the, the film once they get to Oz. And with that in mind, you know, what do you think of the main companions that Dorothy gets in this film? You have the chicken, uh, Belina, that she takes from, uh, goes with her from Kansas to Oz. Somehow. Somehow, and, and talks. Toto that's because in, in Oz, animals can talk. Yeah, Toto doesn't come with her. That's kind of strange. Um, you get TikTok, who's a copper, fat, mustachioed robot. And you get good old Jack Pumpkinhead. Oh yeah. So how do these characters hold up to the you know the original trifecta of the Cowardly Lion, the Scarecrow, and the Tin Man? I really like them. Uh, I like like Belina. Belina did start to get annoying with her with her kvetching and snarking, but thankfully, right when I was about to be fed up with her. Uh, TikTok showed up, and and now there's someone else for Dorothy to talk to. So Belinda gets a lot less annoying. I love TikTok. I love how well realized he is, and I cannot tell if he's some sort of puppet or a guy in a suit or an orangutan in a suit or or what. There's just something unnatural to the, to the way he moves that makes it difficult for me to figure out exactly how they accomplished his effect. Uh, and I do like, and I do like his sort of old, old soldier attitude. Uh, and I also, I also like that, unlike so many artificial beings on film, he doesn't want to be real. He doesn't want to be alive, and he's glad that he's not alive. Well, you know, you say the movement of TikTok is uh, really like strange looking. Yeah. And part of that is I found out this trivia from a, a video I saw online that a gymnast was inside the TikTok suit stood upside down with his legs bent and backwards in the TikTok body to move the legs. So 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 he was walking on his hands? Yes. Oh, okay. So it's a weird kind of walk. And it's nice how the character designs in Return to Oz look very much like the illustrations in the books. Oh, yeah. I mean, they... they... And just more more than that, they do look like they're right out of a storybook. Uh, the the MGM Wizard of Oz, it's like you're watching a very lavish stage play. Uh, you know, everything is a practical effect of some sort. But in Return to Oz, just because of their clever use of puppetry and a couple of other things, it is like you're seeing illustrations come to life. And yet, I think one thing I wish in Wizard of Oz, or sorry, in Return to Oz, they would have done more is... As part of the makeup in Wizard of Oz, you get a lot of the human face. You get a lot of crazy expressions. And in Return to Oz, it's people in uh, her companions or people in suits for the most part. So they don't always have the most expressive of faces. Like, yes, TikTok's mustache moves as he talks. Well, TikTok really has the most fa- – well, well, yeah, he has the most facial the most expressions. Movement, yeah. They get a lot of mileage out of his eyelids and out of uh, out of his mustache. They can really communicate a lot with that. The puppetry on uh, Belina the Chicken is actually very good. They are, they are so close to skirting the uncanny valley with that, that chicken. And I actually like that Jack Pumpkinhead doesn't have an expressive face. 
What about the scarecrow at the end of the film? Uh, it's the the body movement and and all and that physic the physical acting is very very good. I really wish there was I, I wish there was either more or less movement to his face. Either less movement so he's like Jack Pumpkinhead and that's just kind of part of who he is or more movement so we can see some real expression right like that just sort of floppy jaw motion movement that he has is not very satisfying. And there's a few different scarecrow heads too for different expressions he has. Oh yeah. Which comes off as kind of weird when a lot of the other, you know, when like TikTok and stuff has a lot more fancy um uh, Outfits and robotics and all those things in the <laughs> face. Uh, the Gump is a very weird character. Oh, yeah. It's like a... Well, let's talk about the story a bit to get to the Gump. Okay. So, they arrive in Oz. Or Dorothy and Belinda arrive in Oz. And there's the wheelies and all this stuff. And she uses the key to get to a room where she meets up with TikTok. And TikTok delivers exposition... Um, I think a, a part of a problem in this film is a lot of characters, when she first meets with them, just give, like, reams and reams of exposition as to what happened. I I don't mind the exposition so much, if only because it's it's delivered. It's delivered in a very satisfying, in-character way, and it's organic to the story. Dorothy is a character that does need certain things explained to her to bring her up to speed. It's not like where they're like, well, you know, as everyone knows, and then you give a lecture that no one would ever actually give. Right. I think part of that might be a necessity because they combine the plot of um, two of the books into one. Although, although actually, you mentioned the exposition. One thing that I did notice: there are many instances where a character is introduced, and Dorothy says, "Like I don't remember her, or I don't remember them, or whatnot." Mm-hmm. And of course, it's characters the audience didn't remember because they're not in the MGM movie, right? Yeah. In fact, I wrote, I took notes on the movie, and I wrote down several times, "I don't remember." Neither does the audience. <laughs> <laughs> I think you know they want Dorothy to represent the audience to a, to a level mm, to a, to an extent, yes. And uh, given that the film is called Return to Oz, there's a lot of new characters in the film. You know, despite the title, Return uh, would imply. So it's a real tricky balance when. The whole quest is to find the Scarecrow, which is a beloved character from the first film and the first book and stuff. And all these other guys are showing up as her companions. Well, how do you keep them interesting? How do you explain their existence? Uh, I mean, the scene with... Um, is it Mombi exchanging the heads, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. And that's in the book, too. I mean, there's a very famous illustration from the book. Well, even then, the introduction to Mombi is is fascinating because they're in there. Dorothy and and TikTok and Belina are exploring the palace in the uh, Emerald City, Emerald City and yeah. this creepy music. This creepy incidental music is playing, and then there's a revelation: it's not incidental music. Mombi is playing that music on this weird sort of ukulele sitar thing. Hmm. I mean, the hallway with all the heads behind glass, and she goes and picks out which one she wants to put in her head that day, and she just took the head she wanted from people in Emerald City. It's, I mean, I, that's that's the most, that's one of the more nightmare fuel aspects to me of the film. 
Yeah, I, I know uh, several people who that was the scene. If, if they weren't, if they weren't terrified by the wheelers, they're terrified by the uh, by the hall of heads. Which and and it and that's just all accomplished with like practical effects. You just have you know people sticking their heads through holes and just through through the use of some sh- clever shadows, it looks like their heads on stands. And just the way they move, it's just it's just nice and creepy. I think it is a bit weird how the film almost feels like two different. I mean, it is based on two books, but it feels like two distinct. Uh, well, three distinct sections, I guess, if you count the part in Kansas in the beginning. Because they go to Oz, there's all this stuff with Mombi, and then it moves on to the Gnome King. And Mombi is kind of an afterthought until the very end where she joins the scene. Yeah, yeah, she she kind of vanished. She, after after they escape from uh, the, the palace in the Emerald City, yeah, Mombi does just kind of fade away from the narrative until she's needed at the very end. I would have liked some more Mombi. You know, I suppose so. I like part of me would I, would have actually liked to have seen her taking a head, mm. and just like you know, and just sort of or, and and to like sort of learn more of the other personalities, the other heads. Right, right, that's true. You also look at Return to Oz, and we we mentioned uh, Jack Pumpkinhead. Who he's almost introduced back to back with the Gump, which they create with this uh, powder of life. And the Gump is I, like, yeah. I wouldn't say quite, quite back to back. I mean, pretty shortly know, after each other. They, they, they of... meet him, and then they have to do the whole plan, yeah. and then they have to execute the plan, and then the Gump becomes a character on his own. Well, I guess it's, I guess you're right. It's not exactly back to back, but it's pretty soon one after the other to introduce these characters when you spend a lot of time with TikTok. And uh, the Gump is just weird. It's like a mounted moose head on top of a sofa, and it flies. Yeah, they they need, they need to escape, and they have that powder of life. So they 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 attach. They make a, a living vehicle by attaching a furniture and other assorted junk to create what what they're uh, hopefully a flying beast that'll get them out of there. But I really like the introduction of Jack Pumpkinhead, and I love the way he is played by Brian Henson. It's a real nice uh, naivete, I think, to the voice Brian Henson gives. Oh, absolutely! I mean, and and, it, and it's perfect because he is he is a character that's has that's only been alive for a short time and has barely seen any of the world. So, I mean, so does that mean then that the Jim Henson creature shop was behind the puppeteering in the film? Uh, I don't think that they made any of the puppets. Uh, hmm. All I know is Brian Henson did the puppeteer work for uh, okay. for Jack Pumpkinhead. And in fact, Return to Oz was nominated for an Academy Award for Best Visual Effects. Yes. Actually, and I believe Feruza Bulk was nominated for Best Young Actor, but she lost uh, to the kid in Daryl. Uh, yeah, for the Saturn Awards, right. Oh, yes, that was the one. Yep. The, the Gump, I don't think ever is really fully realized as a character. It's kind of... Like, it's weird looking. It has kind of a dopey sense of humor. It's very well, well, imaginative. They, they, make, they make up for the fact that the Gump doesn't have too much impact on the story after he helps them escape by giving him a lot of personality. It's a very expressive face. Yeah. And I, lo- and I love that the, that the Gump remembers 
before he was a mounted head on the wall. I was grazing in a valley, and then there was a loud noise, and I was here. Right, and um, I think before we talk about the uh, the second half of the film, where they we go to the Gnome King's underground domain, we should talk a bit about our website at sequelcast.com. Oh, indeed. So if you like what you listen here on Sequelcast and want to listen to more episodes, and we also do other shows like Sequel Commentary, uh, Sequelcast Special, and Video Game Sequelcast, you can do so at sequelcast.com. Uh, in addition, uh, you know, if you want to help us out, it costs money to do a podcast. We appreciate any donations we can get. You can donate via PayPal at sequelcast.com slash donate. And uh, there you can get uh, some links to uh, our affiliates. As I mentioned before, we're part of the Battleship Protection Podcast fleet. I forgot to mention at the top of the show that the theme song is written and performed by Mark with a C. And you can check out his website at markwithac.com. And another way, we have uh, Amazon affiliate links. So if you want to rent a movie that we're currently talking about on the show via Amazon Instant Video, or you can watch it streaming online for a, it's usually like two ninety nine a movie or something like that. Do uh, they have Return to Oz on that? They do have Return to Oz on that, yes. There you go. So that's a good way to watch it because uh, the DVD is out of print and kind of hard to find. It has not been released on Blu-ray yet, at least not in the United States. Which is a shame. This is this is a movie I would love to see in high definition. I think so too. I think you could get a lot of um, the fine detail, the puppetry in high definition would look really great. And uh, last but not least, if you want to buy things like a sequel cast button or a, a flask or a t-shirt, you can do so at cafepress.com slash sequelcast. And if you want to join in, in our discussion about movies and news about movies with sequels and stuff... Check out the Facebook page at facebook.com slash sequelcast. So uh, now back oh, to... Yes. I had actually another, another two other comments about the, uh, about the uh, escape. Uh, one, oh, of the, yeah. one of the things that they set up is that uh, the different parts of TikTok's body have to be wound up separately. So there you wind right. him up in the middle of his back so that he has physical action. Uh, there's another place where you can wind him up that makes him think, and what's the other place you wind him up makes him talk? Uh, yeah, that's right. That gives him his voice, yeah. and so and so that's something that that ha- that you know is referred back to throughout the film that he needs certain parts of him wound up, and that uh, as they wind down, he becomes less effective. And so as they're building the building the gump to escape. Uh, and TikTok's kind of been put in charge of that his brain winds down, and he starts to give some st- he starts to give stupid and eventually crazy instructions, which Jack Pumpkinhead, being naive, you know, c- continues to follow, including like one of these instructions: tie Jack Pumpkinhead's legs together, which he does. But I really wish that paid off. Yeah, because that... we never see his brain get wound up again uh, right then, and I like I just <laughs> I wish. I just know. I guess in my head, I imagine when they finally take off Jack Pumpkinhead being dragged behind the gump or something like that. I mean, in the climax of the film, it does hinge upon that you have to wind up uh, his his action to get him to move and his brain to get him to think. But you're right. I mean, having him be nonsensical is a fun element of TikTok. Yeah, it's just the foot tying. I want that to go somewhere. And the other thing is there's a phrase that, that keeps coming up. Well, that, 
Uh, oh, here it is. Uh, it can't be helped now. I kind of like that. <laughs> I kind of that sort of re- res- resigning yourself to, to fate or misfortune and then forging ahead, you know. I think you'd have to in Oz. In the land of Oz, there's so many weird things that could happen. You just don't know. Yeah. You have to sort of take it one uh, step at a time, whether it takes you into a uh, gnome cane lair underground or in an emerald city. Well, what do you think about that act- about that escape when you know when they find Mombi's original head in storage and all the heads wake up and and there's that chase? I think the chase is is okay. It kind of goes on for a long time. I that wasn't one of my favorite parts of the film. The imagery of the heads is really creepy. I, oh, yeah. I think that stuff always works. But I think really for me the film it didn't pull me in until they get to the Gnome King's underground domain. Hmm. So, so no no comments about them flying the effects on the gump or anything? I think the effects of the gump flying are, are okay for the time, but they're not... I, I like them because they look so fake. That he, ah, The gump okay. looks like something that can't possibly get off the ground, and that just makes me love it all the more that we do see it fly. Well, it's nice how the gump, it, it almost looks like um, the way like a little kid would draw something. Like oh, it has the head of the moose. It looks like a sofa, and it has uh, the palm tree wings. The palm tree wings. It's very, uh, very fanciful and childlike, which is a hallmark of Oz. <laughs> ah, yes, but then it does. That, and that's oh, that's something else because because you know they eventually you know the Gump crashes and they all land in the Gnome Kingdom. I love that from the moment we get to Oz. They're they're laying the pipe for the Gnome Kingdom, where we keep seeing these faces appear on stones uh, at, at during the early moments in Oz, which then which then quietly go away and then come back in full force once they uh, once they crash. Yeah, it, it's a really creepy effect uh, that they do throughout the film, right, Thrasher, of the 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 rocks and the cliffs, you know, either spying on the characters or talking. And those are done with like stop motion um, animation by. Well, actually, those, those were done by Will Vinton, Will Vinton and his claymation yeah. team. Of claymation, you're right. Of uh, California so Raisins good. fame. Yep, I mean the, the the man's made some amazing things, and this is this is some of his finest work in this film. It's, uh, yeah, I mean that's memorable. Also, when. Uh, later in the film, the characters have to go into a chamber where all these kind of like stone hands uncover themselves to have yes. the door open and they go through. Looks very nice. And uh, it's very trippy, I think, when uh, the characters go down to the Gnome King's underground domain. Well, just trippy and, and scary. You know, there's an earthquake. They get sucked. They get sucked underground and pass through these weird gemstone passageways. We get that brief flash of the scarecrow. Mm-hmm. And then finally we're confronted with the Gnome King himself, which is who is terrifying and human at the same time as he emerges from the living rock. Now one thing really bugs me about the Gnome King. Yeah. I don't like how heavily processed his voice is when he's in his fully stone form. I... He's kind of difficult to understand. 
I kind of like that only because I like kind of big, booming, echoey, scary voices. But I, I, I do agree they probably could have backed up on the processing just a little bit because, like, as as it stands, as as he emerges from the stone over the course of the next half hour and takes on a more and more human aspect, the the processed voice doesn't really go away enough. But it goes away. Uh, enough, I think, where you could understand it more, and I especially like the change where, I mean, the setup for um, a big part of this climax of the film is the Gnome King uh, basically, you know, plays a game uh, with the characters, where one by one they go into a room, and they have to, it has all these uh, trinkets in the room, and they have yeah. to touch a trinket and say Oz for the one they think is the Scarecrow. And if, yes, if they get he, the Scarecrow, a... yeah, well, because that's because he, he's he's made a bet with them. If mm-hmm. they can find the object he's turned the scarecrow into, then they'll turn the scarecrow back, and they can all go free. And of course, he doesn't think they have a chance in hell of doing this. And if they don't, they um, will turn into an object, and he'll become more human. Yeah. Now, the more human thing, I don't get that. They like, don't that explain just it, but it's a real and go it's a real creepy effect. Uh, when I think the first character, oh, what's, is it the Gump that's the first character? Maybe not. I don't remember. Um, whatever the first character is. that it's guess, Jack, actually. Oh, is it Jack? Okay. And Jack oh, no, no. Jack is second to last. I, I, yes, it's the Gump, then it's, it's the Gump, then it's Jack, then it's TikTok, then it's Dorothy. Then it's Dorothy. Okay. So, but when the Gump goes in and, um, you know, chooses the wrong thing, you see, like, the human eyes superimposed on top of the claymation work for the face. Yeah. And it's really unsettling. And then as it moves, as, you know, more people guess incorrectly, and Dorothy's getting abandoned by her, her friends that are, you know, doing this selfless act of, of uh, sacrifice, trying to, you know, restore the uh, Scarecrow to his proper place as King of Oz, you see it's the actor Nicole Williamson in heavy makeup as the Gnome King, which I think is a really nice makeup job. No, it looks fantastic. And, and it, the, the transition from sort of live, living stone to gradually becoming more human to then being the actor in makeup. It's a, it's just a nice progression. I, I like, I like that the Gnome King never really settles onto one form. He's just constantly in transition. Oh no! I did. Uh, what do you think about the 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 nature of the the conflict between the Gnome King and Oz it's for the an, Emerald City specifically? Yeah, it's an interesting conflict. He's saying, you know, he's getting revenge in that to make the Emerald City. They had to make emeralds. Emerald comes from uh, deep underground where the Gnome King lives, so they have stolen the emeralds from him. So he's just gonna take everything himself. Uh, with the help of the power of the ruby slippers that Dorothy wore in the first film that fell back to Oz and somehow, I guess, fell all the way to the Gnome King's uh, underground kingdom. And, I mean, that, well, he could have fallen on top of the mountain. That's still technically in his jurisdiction. Yeah, but I mean, that's a real weird touch, too, isn't it? Where he reveals he's wearing uh, ruby slippers. You have this very masculine, bearded, almost fatherly in some ways, uh, villain character. 
well, fr- frankly, I like it that he that he doesn't like he's he's so mad for power that he doesn't care whether he's wearing uncomfortable shoes to get it. But that also touches on something else. But I'm gonna that something else I'm gonna have to save until uh, we've actually finished summarizing the movie. Right. Um, I do think it's weird in this sequence of the film where they all go in and touch the objects. You don't see him touch the objects. It just kind of holds on Dorothy and her friends waiting, watching your friends go away one by one. And the end, then there's like a flat, then there's like a horrible thunderous flash, and and then they know that someone's made the wrong choice. Do you think that's effective? Yes, actually, it is. I mean, that's like it's 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 so much darker, and you can imagine something so much more horrible when you don't see them being cursed and turned to stone or and turned you, into objects. And you do feel Dorothy, you feel sad for her because you see all her friends kind of vanish, and you don't know really what happened to them. You just get that flash of light and the sound effects, and uh, and that's it. So once uh, Dorothy goes in there, she sees the uh, TikTok hasn't made his choice yet. And well, that, that, well, that's because TikTok, while he was in there, came up with a plan. He faked winding down so that the Gnome King would have to send Dorothy in to wind him up. And he did that so that Dorothy could see his last choice, thinking that if she sees his transformation, that'll give her some clues to figuring out how to tell which uh, object the uh, Scarecrow is in. And it doesn't exactly work, but no. I love that. I love the way she finds the object the scarecrow has been turned into. She uses the force. Yeah, basically. I mean, I really like how when TikTok is whispering that he wound himself down, only half of his mustache lifts up instead oh, of the yes. whole mustache as when he normally talks. I think that was pretty clever. Oh, actually, in TikTok, around this time, TikTok has, like, one of the best lines when they're talking about how they're, they're going to die. It's like, uh, it may, actually, it might be Jack Pumpkinhead. I should have written down Attribution where it's like, you know, you're used to eating and sleeping and other such activities. Yes, right. That's very funny. <laughs> because that's what you don't get to do anymore when you're dead or cursed. And as, uh, you know, Dorothy finds that the, the key is that it's the emerald objects. Which I wish you would have found out by another way. It's pretty arbitrary. Yeah, I guess it is. It is. It is a uh, you know, co- it is a coincidence. There, it really is no. There really is no logic to it. She just truly, by trusting her feelings, she makes a lucky guess. Or maybe she's just wise enough that she can see through the occult shenanigans. And maybe she's learning something about uh, about uh, about wizardry because she's been in Oz so much. That could be. I do enjoy how you do finally have Mombi is going back, going to meet up with uh, the Gnome King. The Gnome King, that's right. Oh, and I love that. It's like, bow, and she bows lower, and she like flattens herself on the <laughs> ground. Lower! <laughs> like, but it's all for it not. She just, I was expecting yeah. the Gnome King to make the ground underneath her sink to make her go Right, lower. right. Do you like the TV show Friends? Then check out Watching Friends with me, Mark, and me, Ryan, every week as we go through every episode of this iconic TV show, giving you behind-the-scenes facts, our thoughts on every scene, and some personal stories. Do you know which actor can't remember how many seasons of the show there are? How about the one common household object that could never be seen on the show? We've got the answers and more as we explore Friends in-depth every week. Watching Friends, only on the HyperX Podcast Network. 
spaceships, magic swords, intergalactic empires, dead gods, and creatures from beyond the moon. What mad universe could contain all these fantastic visions? What mad universe is a bi-weekly podcast delving into the misty origins of sci-fi and fantasy, pop culture and genre tropes. Take a cosmic trip on What Mad Universe Podcast on the HyperX Podcast Network. Hello fans, as part of the HyperX Podcast Network, we're letting you know that this year is HyperX's 20th birthday. To celebrate, they're offering some great deals on their award-winning gaming gear. If you're in the market for a new headset, a new microphone, blue light-blocking eyewear, or any number of other high-quality HyperX products, head on over to HyperX20.com, that's HyperX20.com, to check out all the birthday deals. Once again, check out the HyperX 20th birthday sale over at HyperX20.com. Com. Again, that's HyperX20.com. But instead, he just kind of, like, puts her in a cage. And, like, the final confrontation between Dorothy, her friends, and the Gnome King, I mean, that that's really terrifying. Where that is straight out of the climax of an Evil Dead film. Oh, yeah. I mean, he, you know, because they, she rescues the friends, he goes back from human to stone form and becomes this huge monster and threatens to eat her friends, and he makes his mouth, like, gigantic. You get a lot of fire imagery in the background. Oh, yeah. It reminded just, me a bit of Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. And just uh, the way the way his mouth expands as he yeah. gobbles things up is just terrifying. It is. Uh, do you think it's terrifying how he dies? Well, it... Well, remember that... that uh, the moment they get into Oz, they, yeah. you know, there's, you know, the gnomes are constantly mumbling, "It's a chicken. Where's that chicken?" And it, and it is, and it is part, and it is part of the Oz lore that uh, eggs are poison to gnomes, so chickens have been outlawed in the gnome kingdom, and so that's what happens. Belinda gets so scared, she lay, she's hiding in Jack's pumpkin head, and the Gnome King's trying to eat Jack. She panics, lays an egg. The egg falls in the Gnome King's mouth, and it poison, poisons him to death. Like, I I had no problem with it, partly because I'm, I'm familiar with, with that part of the Oz mythology, but partly because, you know, the the gnomes have been speaking very weirdly about about the chicken. Like, it shouldn't isn't Dorothy the threat? But no, they regard the chicken as a threat on par with Dorothy, and I think that lays it in. It could have been laid in a bit more for my taste. Well, I think, because I think in the books, the way they explain that is that they actually tell a story about how the gnomes discovered eggs were poisoned. And it was because, like, the first gnome king had ordered, like, a, a hard-boiled egg for breakfast, and it killed him. <laughs> and that's how they that's why they how they found out that the, why the gnomes are after the chicken but uh I don't know I I like that we don't that time isn't wasted on that 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 we just have the gnomes worried about the chicken and then the chicken kills the gnome king I mean speaking of time with characters I do enjoy the big parade in Emerald City that's all restored at the end of the film Yeah actually I wrote I wrote down in my notes the Star Wars ending Yes uh but it's, what it's, just like the processional at the end of Star Wars. Right. Or, you know, the the end of the uh, Jim Henson film Labyrinth, for that matter, where all the Muppets are dancing in the bedroom for no good reason. Well, it's just, you know, a little 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 bit of a uh, little bit of frosting on the cake. Uh but and I love that TikTok is all bright, shiny and new, just oh, like yeah. you know. But then I mean, it really the... is like it, 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 they, they they should be lined up and getting medals at that point. But I'm a bit annoyed at the end how they cram in a whole bunch about Princess Ozma 
Yeah, that is the one thing that the movie doesn't successfully integrate is the whole deal of Princess Asma, who she is, and why she's important. Like, we just see a mysterious girl early on. We see Mombi taunting an image in a mirror. But, yeah, the, the movie does not set up exactly why Asma is important. And that brings me to the one place where this really does diverge from the source material. In this movie, Ozma is imprisoned in a mirror, but in uh, in the original uh, st- in the stories uh, of in the, the Oz books, the Ozma uh, uh, was a spell was cast on Ozma, turning her into a boy named Tip, and she lived her life as a boy. And then at the end of the story, she gets her her memories and her proper gender back. Yeah, and that's where she was hiding the whole time. That's why no one could find her because she was a boy, and and they completely abandoned that. And I get, and it might have been confusing. I don't know to have that. It's magic. That it's not confusing. Well, if like a better way to introduce to have Ozma in the story is what if Tip would have been a character that would have joined Dorothy in her adventure. Well, that's what should have happened. Yeah, right. Uh, You know, because I mean. The the second book, Land of Oz, is all about Tip. Like, Dorothy isn't even in it. And Dorothy is in book three, Ozma of Oz. And then they kind of combine some of the scenarios and stuff. Um, and, and the thing is, like, that 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 book was written age... That book was written ages ago. It's, like, it's just... I feel like it's just general Hollywood cowardice that there was no transsexual character in this movie. The closest we get is the Gnome King wearing the ruby slippers. I think that, uh, yeah, I mean, that, that's an interesting point. But and, and the thing if is, they if just introduce this character at the end that's a boy and then, oh, it's transformed into a girl and you try to explain it all in five minutes, wouldn't really have done that justice either. Well, that's why Tip should be a character. That's why yes. Tip should yeah, be in this movie better. very early on. Sure, Certainly. It's... um. The Ozma stuff just feels really shoehorned in. I'm not even sure if you really need it, except that they, you know, she they make her the the queen of Oz, even though a bunch of the characters are clamoring, or clamoring for a Dorothy. Yeah, to be the queen I or think princess would make or a whatever. Better wizard than a than a queen. Uh, probably so. And I mean, not only do they do a lot of extra exposition about Ozma at the end of the film, but when they go back to Kansas, that just feels so rushed. Well, yeah, and like, uh, like they, yeah. She, so, yeah, Dor- Dorothy is is like she's found, washed up uh, by a, by a riverbed, and her family's glad to have her back. They've they've completely forgotten about sending her to a mental institution to get electroshock therapy. But like, I, I even wrote like a note: take that, Doctor Worley. Because uh, apparently, like they mentioned, oh yes, and the inst- the mental institution was struck by lightning and burned down, and Doctor Worley. <laughs> Uh, died in there trying to save his machine. But then we see the nurse carted away by the police. So she's been arrested for some reason. And she's in a cart that's similar to the cage that the Gnome King trapped her in. Well, the thing is, I don't, I don't mind that kind of resonance. What, what bothers me is why is she being arrested? As near as I can tell, all the crazy shit going on at that mental institution, as horrible as it was, was nice and legal. Hmm. Oh, but, oh, and the other thing, though, we know that that institution had other patients because we could hear them screaming. So did they all just die in the fire? 
I I don't know. I I think I would have liked to seen the in, the um the the psych ward get burned to the ground. Yeah, I guess that it's really been cheap. Sad. I think that the characters just describe what happened, and considering how they build it up as a really scary place in the beginning. Yeah, you kind of want to see some comeuppance. You want to see some comeuppance, and you don't. Uh, what they give you isn't quite enough. Yeah, and it's at this point that I almost felt like the movie was making the case that Dorothy does have a mental disorder. Mm. Especially when you know when they get when they get back to the farm and like she sees Ozma in her mirror. Yeah, it's. Uh... That's a good point. And I'm about to say, I, I don't think any of the film really quite quite works. I think the special effect of Ozma in the mirror is really like blown out and kind of terrible looking. Yeah, it's not a great effect. Uh, how did you like the look of the Tin Man and the Cowardly, the cowardly Lion at the climax? I, I love the Cowardly Lion. Uh, the Tin Man, even, I mean, he does look right out of the illustrations. However... The, while that works perfectly for an illustration, once the Tin Man's rendered in three dimensions, seeing it looks like those limbs shouldn't be able to support him. I really felt they should have bulked his limbs out a bit, given him some more substance. Yeah, it's uh, it's just funny they're featured so prominently on the poster, and I can see why. <laughs> they're the bankable characters. Exactly. They're the ones everybody knows. Yep. Um, and that's you know, and that's one of the real sort of pitfalls of of, of this kind of movie because I really like this movie. I'm gonna go. I, I'm gonna say this is a good movie. Uh, it, it certainly deserves better than cult status, but you know, it, it's stack. It's competing against an icon, and everyone wants to see what the icon has. Hmm. And it's, you know, by this and by the time this came out, fewer people were familiar with the source material and don't realize how important TikTok and Jack Pumpkinhead and all these other characters are to the, the lore of Oz. We've had a pretty detailed discussion here on Return to Oz. We sure have. So let's give it a rating out of five stars. I give Return to Oz um, three out of five stars. I don't think it's the classic Wizard of Oz was. I, I love the film, especially once it gets to the Gnome King Kingdom. And it has the electroshock uh, moments in the beginning are very interesting. But it takes a while for the film to uh, to find its pacing for my liking. But once it does, it it gets moving and gets more interesting. And uh, the stop motion uh, animation is really interesting. I'm going to go ahead. I'm going to give it a uh, five stars. I really mm. admire this movie. I I like the ambition of the people behind it. And when it comes down to it, I just find this movie so charming. What's the most charming thing about it? Uh, the, the the way the way they portray Dorothy and the way that they try to to stay true to the source material as much as they possibly can, hmm. and just and just all the little whimsical fantasy elements that are there, and they're just unafraid to include them. Yeah, I mean the, the amount of practical effects in this film—it's really something you just don't see in movies anymore. I know, and it's, it really is a shame. And Return to Oz it, has a lot of them done uh, pretty well. So, like, uh, just like like if TikTok were done today, I'm sure he would be fully CGI, but he's so much more real as a puppet. Mm-hmm. Or, or an acrobat in a suit. 
So let's play uh, Pitch a Sequel. Let's do. Which we pretend to do a sequel to the film. Uh, pretending no other sequels were ever made. So if I was doing a sequel to uh, Return to Oz, I would... I'm kind of thinking of like other sequels they did in the 80s around the time this was made. Yeah. And instead of adapting the books and being really literal, uh, you do the trope like uh, what the live-action Smurfs movie did. Uh-oh. And the characters from Oz come to the real world, come to Kansas. What? That's right. Oh, really? Yeah, not New York City. That's what he thought I was going to say. Yeah. Kansas. <laughs> well, just to be true to that trope. Right. No, they go to Kansas. The Tin Man, Scarecrow, TikTok, all the characters from uh, Wizard of Oz and Return to Oz show up in Kansas. And Aunt Ab and Uncle Henry are very concerned to see uh, Dorothy with, with a bunch of like talking creatures in her bedroom. That are the size of older men. And they don't know quite how to deal with it. So, uh, the Tin Man is known to have a temper. And he chops up Aunt Em and Uncle Henry to bits. It's a murder. And uh, they have to comically cover up this murder when the police come. And it's, how can Dorothy live in Kansas with her friends from Oz and... After murdering, after, you know, the Tin Man murders her uh, Aunt Em and Uncle Henry and not have anyone suspect a thing. <laughs> wow, what's the title of this film? The title of this film would be, I, I have to think of the ending first, give me a moment. Oh, okay. <laughs> the way this tale would end, there's a lot of, like, comic misunderstandings. Involving murder. <laughs> in- involving murder, where, like, you know, the cops come to investigate, the cops get murdered. And then, uh... <laughs> The uh, you get like the local FBI comes in and the FBI gets murdered, despite the fact that the FBI hasn't been founded yet. Right, whatever the equivalent of the FBI was in the agency. early 1900s, and at the end, uh, Dorothy looks over uh, at, at the pile of corpses in the corner of the room, and uh, they're kind of rotted away. And she shakes her head and she says, uh, "There's no place like bones." And the film ends <laughs> on that terrible joke. I would call it uh, "Return to Kansas." So in Oz, in Oz tale. So, so she approves of the murders. Then she does because she learns the valuable les- lesson of a uh, friendship. That friendship is quite important. It's more important than murder. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Sometimes oh, friendship wow. is more important. Sometimes friends are more important than family. And uh, Return to Kansas would teach that lesson in spades. So, Thrasher, it's what's your same pitch? spades that would be used to bury the bodies. Yep. Uh, what's your pitch of sequel to Return to Oz? Well, my, my was going to be uh, Oz the Grim and Terrible. So, we all know at the end of this movie, uh, Belina decides to stay in Oz. Well, we find out that, that Belina, once she gets to stay in Oz... Uh, you know, she she harbors a deep grudge against the gnomes for what they what they did to her, uh, what they did to her friends. So Belina, through uh, political maneuvering, uh, betrayal, bribery, and backstabbing, and yes, a wee bit of murder, becomes uh, becomes the chicken queen of Oz, and then goes to war with the gnome kingdom, uh, and uh, trains chickens to lay eggs on command, and they start saturation bombing the gnomes' mountainside with eggs and really effectively uh, genociding the gnomes. Hmm. 
and this and and it's at this point that TikTok, who you know, as the army of Oz, you know, has to has to obey uh, the ruler of Oz. He starts to uh, he starts to doubt whether or not he really should be obeying these kinds of orders because the gnomes are being wiped out. So finally, TikTok has his uh, thinking spring wound up so tight that he realizes he thinks about it and realizes no I shouldn't be a party to this kind of massacre so TikTok has to team up with some other surviving Oz characters uh, to lead a uh, to lead a rebellion against uh, against the chicken queen of Oz and simply because I want to bring more aspects of the original Oz in uh, he fights side by side with ginger oh okay female general yeah and uh, and together they overthrow they overthrow Belina, banish her back to Kansas, where she is promptly eaten by Dorothy's family. Uh, and uh, and of course she can't talk there, but you can see in her eyes that she knows what's going on. And uh, once again, peace is restored to the land. The Emerald City uh, makes peace with the gnomes, and uh, and and Ginger becomes the new ruler of Oz. And a great and glorious reign it is. What would it be called? Uh, Oz, uh, Oz the Grim and Terrible. Oz the Grim and Terrible. That's a good title. Um, so let's take a moment to do a, the next segment, Sequel News, at our Facebook page <laughs> at facebook.com slash sequelcast. I post uh, n- news stories about you know movie sequels and stuff in development that are interesting to me. And uh, why don't we pull that website up, Thrasher, and let's talk about a few of them. All right. Do you have one in mind to start? Actually, yeah, this uh, okay. this just came out. Uh, Disney has uh, tentatively released some broad uh, release dates for the next three Star Wars movies, the new the new new trilogy, uh, which are going to be coming out the summer of 2015, 2017, and 2019, assuming everything goes according to schedule. And frankly, I don't see why not. And they've also talked about releasing a Star Wars film every year. Where in the years in between would be the character spinoff uh, films. I really hope they don't do that. I, I want some time between Star Wars films to recuperate. Well, like, isn't Marvel releasing, and Disney, you know, releasing a Marvel film every year? Uh, it's actually several. Yeah, so... But uh, the, these are all... T- I guess... I guess... I'm not burned out on Marvel the same way I'm burned out on Star Wars. And, like, with the Marvel movies, they're all building to something. They're all building to the new, the next Avengers film. These, I guess I'm going to, these Star Wars standalone movies, I'm going to feel like they're filler material. Yeah, I don't know if they'll take place in different uh, time settings than the main films. I would, I would hope they would, just to keep things kind of interesting. I'm almost more interested uh, from the spinoff movies to see what they do for a Star Wars uh, TV series because they're doing it. They're working on another animated series. They just canceled the Clone Wars, uh, which ran for five seasons on Cartoon Network. Oh, and actually, uh, speaking of uh, speaking of which, and I'm going to look this up. Uh, just to make sure uh, I can uh, direct, we can direct people to the right thing. Uh, I listened to the the uh, the Paul Goebel show, the the, the uh, podcast about television. One of his friends was a writer for Star Wars Detours, 
that uh, Star Wars comedy series. Oh, that never came out, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and it's never going to come out, and that's something they talked about on this week's episode, episode oh. 345 with Jack Thomas. I hardly recommend checking that out because he tells a lot of really great behind-the-scenes stories of working on the Star Wars Robot Chicken specials but also working on Star Wars Detours and some of the other Star Wars things he got to see. And I, I, just, I have a lot more respect for George Lucas now. Hmm. Just, you know, based on this guy's behind-the-scenes anecdotes. But, yeah, Disney, uh, Disney, among other things, Disney decided – Disney really wants the Disney stamp on all the Star Wars things it, 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 it's going to do. So it has shut down anything Star Wars-related that it has not initiated. And that meant shutting down detours, even though I think a season and a half has actually been animated. Uh, and and part of the – uh, at least according to him, uh, Jack Thomas – Part of the reason for all this is that Disney kind of decided, well, now that we own Star Wars, it's probably best that we don't release a show that makes fun of this intellectual property that we just sunk so much money into. Which is weird because Detours had the potential to really strengthen Star Wars as an IP. I think Detours will get some kind of release eventually. I can't imagine you would do 30-something episodes of a show and... And not finish it. I mean, with that Clone Wars cartoon, there was a few more episodes they had produced that weren't aired that are going to be released in some fashion uh, as bonus content, I think is how they phrased it. But uh, And if you want to hear us talk about all the Star Wars movies, we've done episodes of that on the sequel cast at sequelcast.com. Uh, I'm looking at a piece of recent news that gets me interesting. Uh, did you ever see any of the Expendables movies? No, no, I haven't. Oh, okay. I thought the second one in particular is pretty amusing. But for Expendables 3, uh, Sylvester Stallone has been teasing a lot about the film on his Twitter account, so it doesn't mean this stuff's official, but hopefully it comes to pass, in that apparently Jackie Chan and Wesley Snipes are going to be in the film. Aw. And he even teases the idea of Mel Gibson directing it, which I think is kind of ludicrous. I don't think that That's would That's weird. I don't think that would happen, but... I can see, you know, Jackie Chan would be could be pretty cool, and Wesley Snipes, he just finished his uh, prison sentence for a tax evasion. So, yeah, he would be a fit with the Expendables cast of characters. And I think more interesting about the Expendables, those films have uh, been doing really well, but then when you look at movies that just star those actors individually, like Schwarzenegger had his film The Last Stand, Stallone had his film recently Bullet to the Head, and those just uh, opened really poorly. Because they're not, you know, it's just like one action star in a film instead of a whole bunch of them in uh, one it's, film. It does does seem very crowded. All the actors in the Expendables movies? Yeah. Well, yeah. that's sort of the point, I think. True, but I guess I guess I would rather see the good the good movies that these people did individually rather than one mediocre movie that they're all making at once. It's <laughs> an interesting uh, point. Any more sequel news you'd like to talk about? Oh, uh, well, actually, Richard Lepomentier, uh, who played Admiral Modi in Star Wars, passed away. Oh no. Yeah, and he's also uh, yeah. This was a uh, this was on the the sixteenth, I believe. Uh, regardless of when or where you're listening to this, on the sixteenth, 
but he was also, you know, he also had a bit part in Who Framed Roger Rabbit, and I always loved pointing that out uh, while watching the movie and seeing every the recognition dawn on everybody's face. Who was he on uh, in Who Framed Roger Rabbit? He he's a he, he's like a, a a police detective or something. He's the he's the guy that comes into Eddie Valiant's office and takes him to meet Judge Dune, and they watch the uh, the shoe get dissolved in the turpentine. Oh, okay. That's uh that's pretty sad. Those certainly are iconic movies that he was in. So, all right. And for more sequel news, uh, check out Facebook.com/sequelcast. And if you want to check out other episodes of the sequel cast or our other podcast, you can do so at sequelcast.com. Uh, now we move on to our final segment, What You Watching? Um, Woo! I will begin. I got to watch uh, the new Steven Spielberg film, Lincoln, Cool. recently. Uh, have you seen this one? No, I have not seen Lincoln yet, sadly. Okay. I thought Lincoln was mm, well made, but pretty long. It's almost uh, you know, it's almost three hours long, two and a half hours long, I guess, is the length. And I guess you see the title Lincoln, you see Daniel Day Lewis is in it. I was expecting it would be more of like a, a biopic on Lincoln's whole life, or maybe Lincoln during the Civil War. And instead, it primarily focuses on a a period of time in which Lincoln got the uh, oh, Emancipation Proclamation. He got the uh, 13th Amendment passed. So that outlaw in the U.S. Constitution outlawed slavery and involuntary servitude, except as punishment for a crime. And um, yet internships still exist. Ah, uh, yeah, no, that's... In- internships and writing for exposure... Anyone out there who's considering any kind of creative work, never do it for exposure. Exposure is a lie. And yet some very big websites do that. The the websites are big. Nobody who writes for them is because they write for exposure. So uh, Lincoln, uh, directed by Spielberg, directed... Steven Spielberg and written by Tony Kushner based on the book Team of Rivals, The Political Genius of Abraham Lincoln by Doris Kearns Goodwin. has a lot of like amazing actors in it doing wonderful performances, but the whole thing is, is almost like a, a courtroom drama for the most part. Other than the montages of them trying to swing people to vote in their favor for this amendment. And um, of the supporting parts, I thought that... Oh, what's the actor's name? James Spader did a really good job as a character named William N. Bilbo. Huh. It was a kind of wheeler and dealer getting people to vote in uh, favor of passing the 13th Amendment. Um, and the movie does cover the death of Lincoln a little bit, which seems a bit... I don't know if that's completely necessary because it focuses so much on getting the amendment passed that once it passes, you know, it keeps on, it could have ended there, but it keeps on going with the ending of the civil war. And then with Lincoln getting assassinated, although you don't, it happens off screen. Um, so I think that's kind of a curious choice, but certainly out of Steven Spielberg's, uh, historical drama films, I think, you know, like Schindler's list or saving private Ryan were, uh, a lot better. 
the Lincoln was good. It just wasn't. It wasn't great. I don't think. What have you been watching, Thrasher? Well, I made an interesting, uh, an interesting discovery uh, while while poking around on some different. Uh, some some different streaming sites uh, last week, and I watched an amazing uh, science fiction movie called uh, Outer World. Which I'm I'm just going to say this right now: it's not a good movie, but it is incredibly fun, especially if you like uh, if you like old fashioned model work. This movie is an orgy of scale models of spaceships, space stations, alien landscapes, what have you. It's this uh, it's this outer space adventure that takes place in the future. The main character is a a cloned super soldier designed for seduction, infiltration, assassination, all that kind of thing. Uh, and anyway, uh, she ends up discovering a crashed alien spaceship. So she and a space pilot go out there to and, and to to get that spaceship so she can use the revenue from it to to buy her freedom. And there's stuff involving a Japanese megacorp, and it's a weird mix of special effects because, like, it, the film has a very confusing history. Like, it was apparently filmed in 1987, but not released until uh, until 1994. And by that point, the special effects were enhanced with uh, with CGI, and the CGI is is poor even by 1994 standards. This is uh, sub. Uh, this is sort of sub uh, Babylon early first season Babylon Five CGI, and the thing is, while I was watching this movie, the narrative is so hard to follow, and there's and it's shot on such a weird quality of video, and there's so much use of model combination of models and CGIs. I actually thought that what I was watching might actually be all the cutscenes from a video game I'd never played edited together into one movie. Turns mm. out it wasn't. It's just a movie. So would you recommend it after all that? Uh, I, I would recommend it if you like cheesy science fiction films, and uh, I would also recommend it if you like the craft of, uh, of scale model making. Uh, other than that, I don't know. I guess it really, it really is sort of a, a, a B-movie enthusiast sort of, uh, sort of film. How's the uh, space? Oh, and, and a lot of it was filmed in, uh, in Norfolk, Virginia, my hometown. Or this, or the, you talked about the model work in the film and the spaceships uh, look decent. Oh yeah, I mean the model work is 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 exquisite, and even the, the overall designs are very good. Although it's just the CGI when it's implemented is very weak. Cool. Yeah, it was made. There's a trailer you can watch online. Uh, it's available on some streaming services. It's uh, it's it's really fascinating. And there's a, uh, but yeah, it was apparently it was made by a local production house in Virginia that that does like uh, that does video for advertising and like uh, wedding videos and that kind of thing. Hmm. So, um, very good. Well, again, if you like the sequel cast, you can. Support us via PayPal donations at sequelcast.com slash donate. And I uh, hope you liked our look at Return to Oz. Uh, next week, we'll be capping off our look at films based on uh, the Oz books with a look at Oz the Great and Powerful, directed by Sam Raimi. It's currently in theaters. Uh, for the sequel cast, this is Matt. And this is Thrasher. Follow me at sequelcast on Twitter. And you can follow Thrasher at Internet Mayor. 
And uh, this is me saying, I think I'd rather take my chances in Kansas, Burke. That's uh, that's an amazing Belina. Thank you very much. I don't know if I can follow that up with. Uh... No, I, I I can't beat that. You got me beat. Want to see me make an egg cream? Raw. <laughs> oh. Rocky. How do you cream an egg, Belina? <laughs> you you leave that to me, fella. I've already creamed something this evening. I realize my my, my <laughs> sounds like Huel Hauser. Now, now this is Oz. <laughs>